Please open to the book of Acts. I want to apologize if you were here on Wednesday night because you're going to hear more of what you heard on Wednesday. We're doing a bit of a, we're going to, I'm going to preach it again with a little more to it, but we had, apology accepted? Thank you so much. So I, um, I just was, I just didn't feel like I was done with it. And it's a smaller crowd here on the Wednesday. For one thing, so many people are serving downstairs. There's just a handful of people up here. And I just, the, the Lord has encouraged me with these passages in Acts for a long time, and I wanted to share it with everybody. So Acts chapter 1, and we're going we're gonna to move through until we get to chapter 8. And in chapter 8, um, and I'm not going to read all the chapters, don't you worry, we'll be good. I'm going to show you some of the highlight reels, and then we're going to focus in in chapter number 8. But what I want to talk to you about today is mission mobilization. Mission mobilization. And I want you to think about those words because Jesus gave us a mission. Do you believe that? I mean, do you really believe it? Because we think about the fact like, oh, well, I'm supposed to. How many of you know there are some things you're supposed to do, right? You know what I'm talking about? Well, there's some things I'm supposed to do. Um, you know, I'm supposed to. Uh, and you learn them when you're a kid. You know, I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to brush my teeth. I'm supposed to eat my vegetables, right? Some of us are still learning those things, you know. I'm supposed to, supposed to, supposed to. And if we're not careful, the idea of evangelism and the gospel, it can fall into that category of, the category of things I'm supposed to do. But what I want you to get a glimpse of here right from the outset is that this the getting the gospel around the world is not something that we are supposed to do. It is the heart of the mission to why we are here. It's everything. It's all about it. Evangelism, discipleship, gospel proclamation. It is not part of what we do as Christians. It is the essence of who we are as Christians. Because it is the mission that Jesus left us with. Look at Acts 1 and verse number 8. I want you to see it. I'm just going to ask you by faith, give me your full, undivided attention this morning as we look at the scriptures. Acts 1, verse number 8. When I stop, you say the word, all right? When I stop, I know it's been a rainy couple of days. It kind of gets it down a little bit. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to just fire it up this morning. Are you ready? I wasn't convinced, but we'll try anyway. Here we go. Ready? Here we go. Acts 1 and verse number 8. But ye shall receive power. That was pretty good. You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be... Okay, two key words already, and a super key person, which is the Holy Spirit. He's right in the middle of all this. But the first key word is you're going to get what? You're going to receive power from the Holy Ghost when he comes on you, and that is going to make you a what? You're going to be a witness. The power from the Holy Spirit makes you a witness. That starts it off right there. And now Jesus clarifies the mission. This is the mission. This is the plan. This is the strategy. This is how you're going to be witnesses. He says, ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in and in all and in all right, so he gives a threefold, threefold example. You're going to get this gospel. You're going to get this message. You're going to be a witness of Jesus in Jerusalem, 
in Judea and Samaria. You say, well, how are we going to do it? Well, you're going to do it because you've got power from the Holy Spirit. You've got the enabling of the Holy Spirit. How many of you could say amen this morning if I said, are you saved? Now, those of you who are saved, how many of you have the Holy Spirit? Can you say amen? Amen. Every single one. Romans chapter 8 says that if you don't have the Spirit, you don't have Christ. There's some people that teach that you've got to do extra stuff to get the Holy Spirit. But you look at Romans chapter 8. If you, have, if you don't have the Spirit, you don't have Christ. And if you have Christ, you have the Spirit. So if you are saved, if you put your faith in Jesus, you are not just from your sins, but you have the Holy Spirit. And because you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you have what? You have power. Now, not power, not power to, you know, like the old Superman stories, leap tall buildings in a single bound and all. That's not what we're talking about with power here. And sometimes people take this idea of power and they, 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 they make it about, you know, like, well, I'm going to do a miracle or I'm going I'm to do something supernatural. What is the point of the power in the passage? What is the point? Well, the point of the power in the passage is what? Yeah, it's to witness. It is to be a witness. Jesus did not leave us alone on the mission. He gave us the power of the Holy Spirit. So I just want you to get that this morning. That if you're going to be part of missions, if you're going to be a missionary, and I believe that every single Christian ought to be a missionary. Do you believe that? I don't mean going out to another country, but a missionary right here, right here in this community. I have, we have friends that we've known for many years, and at the, as you, right above the exit door of their church, it says you are now entering the mission field. You are now entering the mission field. I've seen that at a couple of churches. It's a reminder that we are all to be witnesses. So missions and evangelism, getting the gospel out, it is not something we're supposed to do. It's what we have been empowered to do. It's what we're called to. And it's not up to you and it's not up to me. It's about us making ourselves available to the Holy Spirit and letting Him operate through us. Because if you're like, boy, you know what? You're like, oh, you know, you gave me that card, that faith promise card, and I, I want to give, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to, and I want to pray more, and I want to witness more, and I want to do all these things. Listen, if it's up to you to figure it all out, you're setting yourself up for failure. That's why we say pray, seek God's will, seek God's power. That's the mission. So Jesus gave us a plan. Do you see any problems with the plan? Any problems with this plan? Seems like a good, good strategy. It's like, great job, Jesus. It's a good plan. No problem with the plan. But a plan, a mission, it's not enough just to have the plan. It's got to be mobilized in order to be accomplished. The witnesses have to do the witnessing. The goers have to do the going. And the senders have to do the sending. It's all got to happen. If we don't mobilize, then the mission is not accomplished. Now, I want to show you the map. You've got it on your handout. It's on the screen as well. This is the three, this is the, you see these circles here. Jerusalem is the inner circle. This is the Jerusalem and the suburb cities around us. This is Israel at the time of Christ. And then that sur- the, the second medium or, or second smallest circle there, that would be, you guessed it, it would be Judea. 
And then that bigger circle, really up to the north, now the gospel has gone as far as what place? Samaria. And then it's going where? To the uttermost parts of the world. It's just going, going, going. This was the mission. Now, it's not just, I want you to notice a couple of things here. It's not just geographical, although it is geographical. In other words, here you are. In Acts 1, verse number 8, Jesus is in Jerusalem. And so here we are in Jerusalem, and Jesus says, you're going to spread this message where? Right here, right in Jerusalem, you're going to spread this message. Then you're going to go to Judea. Like, oh yeah, that kind of makes sense, right? Makes sense. We've got a lot of friends and relatives in the regions of Judea. And then he says, and you're going to go to what? Samaria. That was their reaction. Samaria. Now, not the disciples, because they know now. They know now. But, but other people, other Jews would be like, we're, taking, we're being witnesses where? In Samaria? And then, where else are we going? The uttermost parts of the world. This is not just geographical, but it's an ethnic mission. It's a geographic mission, but it's an ethnic mission. In fact, the Bible says to go and teach all nations, that word is ethnos. It's from which we derive eth eth ethnic or ethnicity. That the gospel is just not for the Jewish people, but it's also going to go. So Jerusalem and Judea are compo comprised of what group of people? Jerusalem and Judea are who? Yeah, Jews. Samaria are people who are half Jewish and half Gentile, and they are hated by the pure Jews in this day and age, in the time when this is written. So he says, but the gospel isn't just for you, it's for them. And then the uttermost parts of the world, the Gentiles. You see in the book of Acts, there would be all kinds of drama that unfolds. Because the Gentiles, they wouldn't even eat with Gentiles. But Jesus is teaching that his message is going to all people. So the mission is both, is both geographical and also ethnic. That's the mission that we're called to. So, we, it's not enough for us to just reach our geographic area, although we must. We must do everything we can to reach our Jerusalem and Judea. But not only do we have to go geographically, and God may call somebody in here to go geographically. And he may call somebody in here to say, you know what, I want you to go to another part of the world. But then we have to be careful, we have to be careful that we are not just reaching people that are ethnically just like us. Just like us. So, that's the mission. To go, to get the gospel out. That's in chapter 1. Now, if you turn over your handout, you see, I'm going to show you, this is going to be pretty simple, the rest of the message. First thing I want you to see is the comfort zone catalyst. The comfort zone catalyst. How many of you know what comfort zone is? How many of you kind of found a comfort zone in the room this morning, maybe? Maybe you're just a little too comfortable there, settled into that cushy seat. What is the thing about comfort zones? Tell me something about comfort zones. Go ahead. They're what? Oh, they're comfortable. Comfort zones are comfortable. What else do we know about comfort zones? You don't want to leave them. <laughs> Because they just feel good. 
Oh, yeah, comfort zones have some security there, right? Anything else about comfort zones? Safety. Things are going pretty well in the comfort zone. We all like to live where? In the comfort zone. Now, this happened right at the beginning of the mission. Now, but I want to do something right now. And that is I want to point out that it's not that comfort zones are bad. We need places to retreat to. We need places to feel that security. Right? In fact, the local church, in a lot of ways, should be a comfort zone for us. It should be a place where we can come and take refuge. Come and be encouraged and motivated and challenged and strengthened so that then when we go out of the comfort zone, we've got a place to come back to. Are you with me? So I'm not here to, I'm not here to, to just, you know, make fun of anybody and be like, oh, don't be a wimp and stay in your... We need them. We need places of comfort and security. Just as long as we don't stay there. Get stuck there. So what I'm about to show you, I don't know that church did anything wrong. But they did not accomplish the mission until Jesus brought in some discomfort. Then the mission was accomplished. You say, what do you mean? Geographically, where are they supposed to start? They're supposed to go where? Then to, then to Samaria. I want you to see what happens. Quick history lesson here. So turn your pages fast or follow along on the screen. Whichever you like. I like to turn the pages. So if you go to Acts chapter 2, let's just see how the drama unfolds. Acts chapter 2 is Pentecost and the founding of the church in what city? You got to help me out here. This is going to be the easiest answer of all because I'm just going to say the same question. It's either going to be where or what city, and your answer is going to be, well, there you go, Jerusalem. So, verse number one of Acts chapter two, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other languages or tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at, where is it happening? Jerusalem. And so some of you know what happens. If not, you should read the story. The apostles... The apostles are given the supernatural ability to speak in languages. And so you read what happened in Acts chapter 2. They would go and there's all these Jews that have gathered for Pentecost. And now the Holy Spirit comes and says, go preach the gospel. And so Peter starts preaching. And he starts speaking in Hebrew or Aramaic, whatever his uh, native language was. So let's assume it's Aramaic. He starts speaking in Aramaic. And God supernaturally translates the words into all of the other languages of people who were there. That's the gift of tongues, by the way. Don't get confused about that. That's a miracle. And so they're speaking in other languages that people could understand. Why? So that they could be witnesses. What is the Holy Spirit's power for? To make us witnesses. So he gave them that supernatural gift to speak in other languages. And thousands of people make a decision for Christ. Go down to verse 41. 
Then they that gladly received his word were what? Baptized. By the way, if you've you've received Christ as your Savior and you've never followed in baptism, we can arrange that. We need to make that happen. That's the first step of obedience for a Christian is to be baptized in the water as a sign of your salvation. They that gladly received his word were baptized in the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. All right, who's giving the doctrine here? Who did the preaching and who's giving the doctrine? Who? The apostles. The apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by who? The apostles. The apostles are spreading the gospel where? Jerusalem. Okay, so we're doing well. If you were to read chapter number three, you'd hear about a miracle that happened at the temple, which is in. Don't wear out on me now. Come on now. It's happening in Jerusalem. If you go to chapter number four, there's a debate with the priests and the Sadducees and the leaders. And the church in what city was strengthened? How many chapters are we in the book of Acts now? Four. There's only 28 chapters. I mean, we got a chunk of the book done now. We're in chapter four, and where are we still? Jerusalem. Where are we supposed to go? Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. But where are we? Jerusalem. Well, maybe chapter five. Maybe in chapter five. Chapter five, the apostles are, uh uh-oh, some discomfort starts to come in now. The apostles are arrested and beaten by the council in what city? We're still there. We're still there. Now, five chapters in, the church still has not mobilized for the mission. I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm not saying that they're disobedient. But what I am saying is, has the mission been accomplished yet? No. They have not taken the next step. Now, again, maybe they needed this. They needed all of this. I'm not, however, what you will never find in the book of Acts anywhere, you will never find a meeting where they all get together. This is not, if it happened, it's not recorded. You will never find a time where they get together and Peter says, hey, John, what are we doing about Samaria? How are we going to get to the uttermost parts of the world? That meeting never happens. But whose mission is this after all? It's Jesus' mission. He's going to be the one that ensures it happens. So we're up to chapter number, where do we leave off? What chapter are we up to now? Chapter 5. Now the Lord is going to bring a catalyst in, a change agent. He's going to bring in some discomfort into the comfort zone that's going to accomplish the mission. How many of you love discomfort in your life? None of us. But look what God is going to do. It starts to ramp up. In chapter 4, there's a debate with the priests, but it doesn't get much worse than that. In chapter 5, the apostles suffer a beating. And do you know what they do after the beating? Does anybody know the story? They sing and praise God. They say, they, they, they praise God that they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. What an amazing testimony. So it's, now they're experiencing some discomfort. But still they're there. 
chapter number 6, it gets even worse. And there's a man named Stephen, who's one of the first deacons in the church. And Stephen, Stephen is accused. In verse number 8 of chapter 6, says this, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and Cyrenians and Alexandrians and them of Cilicia of Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. So he's preaching. He's giving them, he's being a witness by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's going well. They can't resist it. But now the Lord allows some serious discomfort to be brought in. Verse 11, then they suborned men, said, they falsely accused him. We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Was that true? No, it happened. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses, which said, This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place, and shall change customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the council. Can you hear the uproar? Oh, what? how could this be? They all, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. If you don't know what happens, you're like, whoa, what's going to happen? He starts to preach. And in chapter 7, you get this whole sermon that Stephen preaches about the history of Israel. And about how the ancient people of Israel rejected the prophets. And he basically, basically, when I summarized this sermon, he looked at that angry, grumpy, evil group of religious leaders. And he says, in more words than this, he says, you are just like your ancestors who resist the prophets. Well, when they heard that, they were none too pleased. They are filled with rage. How dare you accuse us? And so in chapter 7, in verse number 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, power to be a what? The Holy Ghost will be power to be a what? Witness. Being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down, cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. This is the first time since the crucifixion that someone has been killed for believing in Jesus. 
what happened to the comfort zone now? It's gone. God has allowed increasing discomfort, discomfort, discomfort. Until we come now to this catalyst, this event that changes everything. In chapter number 8, this guy Saul, who you will later know as the Apostle Paul, but right now he's a zealous, young, angry man who hates the Christians. And he takes it upon himself to be the great persecutor of the Christians. And Saul was consenting unto his death. I'm in chapter 8 now, verse number 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church. Not a little persecution, but a great persecution. As soon as Stephen is put to death, this thing explodes. It's almost as if to the religious leaders, this is what gave the permission. Stephen's killed. All right, somebody's died. Blood has been shed. Now we're going to tear into these Christians. And remember, how many Christians are there in Jerusalem at this time? Not an exact number, but there are thousands. There are thousands of Christians. And religious leaders, they say, we are going to stop this. And Saul, you are our man. You are our guy to round them all up. Find them. Go to their homes. Drag them away. Put them in prison. Put them to death. It says in verse number... One, there was great persecution against the church, which was at where? Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of where? Judea and Samaria. Did you see what just happened? The mission is starting to happen. The mission is underway. They're in Judea. Area, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made a great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering to every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere doing what? Preaching the word. Preaching the word. It wasn't until somebody came knocking on the doors of the Christians. And Saul got a list. The only thing I can think of historically that it compares to is the, is the, the, the terrible images we have from Nazi Germany in the Holocaust, literally. Going house to house, rounding people up, taking captive. House to house... Terrorism is what's happening. Sanctioned by the, the religious government of Jerusalem, Saul goes and he starts terribly persecuting Christians, throwing them in prison. Now, normal people under circumstances, what do they do? They say, we have got to get out of here. We've got to run. We've got to flee. So whole, I want you to think of what happens now. Whole families pack up whatever belongings they can. I mean, I'm assuming when you heard that your brother-in-law had a knock on his door and his fam- he was taken away, you heard about that, what are you doing? 
you're out. You're packed up and you are gone. And there is a mass exodus of Christian Jews from Jerusalem. They're fleeing. I would imagine some of them are fleeing at night. It's a panic. It's disarray. We just read this like, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. These are people running for their lives. You talk about serious discomfort being brought, fear. But as they went, as they went, what did they do? Preach the gospel. The mission that Jesus gave was not accomplished until the persecution came. It took some discomfort. I just have to ask, are you willing to be made a little uncomfortable for the sake of the mission? Number two, I want you to notice. Not just the comfort zone catalyst, but I want you to see the unprofessional preachers. The unprofessional preachers. This is my favorite part of all, of this whole passage. What jumps out at me the most. Now, I'm calling them the unprofessional preachers. Why? Because I want you to notice in verse number one, who was not scattered. Look at verse number one of Acts chapter eight. Look at verse number one. They were all scattered. Except who? I, I would, if that didn't jump out at you, I would underline it, circle it, star it, highlight it, whatever implement of writing is your preferred. Mark that thing. The only people who didn't leave were who? The apostles. So that means the first people to accomplish the missionary call were not the apostles. It was the people. It was the church collective. The individual people in the church. That is who God used. Now, did God have a role for the apostles? Is there a great apostle who becomes a missionary? Yes, of course. We are not discounting the professionals, so to speak. But the first great impact of Jesus accomplishing the mission to Judea, Samaria, was not the apostles. For whatever reason, God kept them in Jerusalem. And the rest of the church was scattered. And God used regular people. He used ordinary people who had not spent three years alone with Jesus. They hadn't been trained for the ministry. They didn't have any professional ministry, schooling, or training. But they loved Jesus, and they knew what Jesus had done in their life, and they were running for their lives, and wherever they went, they preached the gospel. Everywhere they were. And what does that say to each and every one of you in here today? Don't, all right, I'm gonna be a, I'll be a little blunt about it, so don't take it the wrong way. If we are going to accomplish the mission here, and we are going to accomplish the mission out there, and if we are going to accomplish the mission around the world, don't count on me to do it. Don't count on one of the missionaries you meet to do it. Who is called to do it? Everybody say me. Who is called to do it? Any. We're all called to do it. All of us. 
the, 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 the number one thing that will determine how effective the evangelism and missionary spirit of any local church will be, the number one factor is the hearts of the people. The hearts of each of us burdened for the mission. God uses ordinary people. Think about those people that were scouted and what kind of jobs they had, what kind of lives they had. They just went everywhere preaching the gospel. I thought of two statements here. They had an unexpected opportunity. Right? I guess <laughs> having to flee for your life would be an unexpected problem. But it, they began to see it as an opportunity. The problem, the discomfort, they did not see as so much a problem as an opportunity. Think about the things that have happened in your life that you, if you could write the story, you would write a little differently. I'm sure if these people at the moment, if you said, hey, what would you like tomorrow to be like? Well, I'm just praying that God will have me run in terror from my home, pack up my belongings, and just have the opportunity, maybe that would drive me to Samaria to preach the gospel. Do you think that was in anybody's plans? Of course not. But now bring it to your life, bring it to my life. When the job doesn't work out how you hoped it would, or th this, this financial thing didn't happen exactly how you thought, or, or the plans that you had made, it's just not, I'm just not where I want to be. Is it possible that you're exactly where God wants you to be? Is it possible that this is the moment for you and the place for you? And though it's not, listen, I could share some things in, your, in, in my life. I could share some things even in the life of this church over the last few months that if I had to choose, they wouldn't have happened the way that they did. But you know what? I'm just embracing the moment and saying, God, there's an opportunity that I don't know about. And when I see it, help me to take it. Amen? Amen. Unexpected, not problems, but opportunities. And they're giving the gospel. And then they have an unreserved availability. Boy, how many of us have been tempted? As soon as something doesn't go right, we're like, well, Lord, I'm just going to go and sit, sit, out, sit this out for a little while. Things are just hard right now, so I'm going to just take a break. Wait a minute. Whose power is accomplishing the mission? It's Holy Spirit power. Does he need me to be in full capacity, full mental faculties, full energy, full emotional tank? Does God need any of that from me? Or does he need me to be like Paul and say, when I am weak, then your strength is made perfect in me. And I am available, God, whether, whether my health is great or my health is poor. I am available, God, whether I feel emotionally full or I feel a little depleted. I am available, God. I am available whether I have all the money I think I need or I don't have as much. I am available. I am available. I am available because yet not I, but Christ through me. I'm available and it's unreserved wherever you put me. Aaron's been teaching in the Sunday school about famous missionaries of the past. And this individual isn't a missionary, but a famous Christian of the past. And how many of you are familiar with the story of Corrie Ten Boom? 
but you know, look it up, her book, The Hiding Place. You talk about somebody, you talk about somebody who, who said, God, use me no matter what. Unreserved availability. So, you could apply this in so many scenarios to your life. I could in my life. But let's just say, God, I don't have to be professional. It doesn't have to work out. I'm just going to be available for you. And what happens? Verse number five, then, so this guy named Philip, he just rises. For whatever reason, everybody's preaching the gospel, and then there's a guy named Philip that comes on the scene. We never heard of this guy. He's not an apostle. He was one of the, uh, he, he, was, he was one of guys that just was a servant in the church. You can see him in Acts chapter 6. He was, a, he was a faithful servant in Jerusalem, and the church lost him. He had to leave, but you know what? He goes to Samaria now, and he preached Christ unto them. He preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. This is amazing. His buddy, he was personal friends with Stephen. Philip and Stephen were, I don't know if they were best buds. I just kind of assume that they were because they're both mentioned in the same group in Acts chapter 6. Philip and Stephen, they served together like close brothers in the Jerusalem church. Stephen is dead, but Philip is still alive. Philip has to flee. Stephen died. Philip flees. Stephen preached to people, and when Stephen preached to people, what did they do? Remember the story. When Stephen preached to people, what did they do? Oh. All right, who, who helped me out? What did they do? They killed him. When Stephen preached to people, they killed him. But now in Samaria, when Philip preached to people, what did they do? They heard the gospel. They got saved. Who was the more faithful? Who was the more faithful servant of the Lord? Neither. Both. <laughs> Both. There, there's just all, all different moments in life. And listen, you will sometimes be bold in your faith, and it won't turn out how you hoped. But there are some Samaritans waiting for you to just keep going. There might be some people in Jerusalem that don't want to hear what you have to say. But if you keep being faithful, there are some Samaritans. They're just waiting for us. I mean, the Samaritans, it was like they were ready. It was like the Holy Spirit had prepared them. And so when Philip preaches, they receive the word. But because in each case, these believers are available to the Lord. All right. Let me wrap up with three statements. Let me give you three ways to mobilize for the mission. How many of you would say, I got to get mobilized? It's time. Let me give you three statements of application here, and we'll wrap up with this. You could probably fill in the first blank on your own. Let's do it together. Number one, step out of your, step out of your comfort zone. Step out of your comfort zone. It's different for all of us. Some of us have a comfort zone of shyness or reservedness. We feel much more comfortable when we're just kind of doing our own thing and we don't really get involved in other people's lives and we don't, you know, as you're super extroverted and you're like, oh, I got to get out there, you know, I got to talk to everybody. But some of us are very reserved and that's our comfort zone. I'm not saying you have to change your personality, but if you're going to, the gospel 
has to be spoken. It has to be shared. So your comfort zone might be that. You need to step out and say, God, I'm available. It makes me uncomfortable, but I'm available. Some, you might be in a financial comfort zone. Write down the one that God is speaking to your heart about. I mean, you got the notes. Don't miss the moment. You might be in a financial comfort zone. Things are pretty good. You don't want to rock the boat at all. And now, you know, pastor's asking me to pray about, you know, this faith promise card. Oh, this is making me uncomfortable. <laughs> well, step out of your comfort zone. That's when God works. Maybe there's a, you have a comfort zone at work and people know you a certain way and if they start to find out you're a Christian, they'll view you. Okay? Maybe at school. You have a, people think of you a certain way at school and it's time to let people know that you love Jesus. You've got to step out of your comfort zone. We could go down the list and you could maybe think of something else. What is your comfort zone? What are you? What is the catalyst that God needs to bring into your life to just shake things up a bit? It's okay, Lord, I am available. I'm available. Number two. Number two. Learn to let go. Learn to let go. Think about those people in Acts chapter 8 running from their homes. God, why are you taking this from me? God, why can't I have this? Think about the people who lost loved ones in that persecution. God, why is this person gone? We can, the reason we can let go, it's a cliche. It's a cliche, but that sometimes it's helpful. Let go and let God. It's because we can trust God. So we can let go. Whatever it is you're just hanging on so tight to, if you're going to, remember, the mission is not something we're supposed to do. It's who we are as Christians. Let go. What do you need to let go of? I believe that the Holy Spirit is here with us this morning. Do you? So I believe that he just might be speaking to your heart in this moment, telling you exactly what you need to let go of. You know, because God's, that's an amazing thing. I just read the Bible and talk about it, and then God speaks to your heart in a personal way. If God is saying, if you know it, write it down. What is it? Step out of comfort zone, learn to let go, and then thirdly, pray. Pray for opportunities. Now, some of you might have wrote, look. How many of you wrote look ahead of time? You got ahead of me, and you wrote look. Okay. Some of you did. I see it. You're admitting it right now. And I, I got to tell you, I almost wrote look. But you know why, do you know why I said pray? Because if you pray for opportunities, you'll never miss them. If you look for them, you might miss them. But if you pray for them, God's going to put them right in your path. I have never prayed, Lord, give me an opportunity to witness. And him not answer the prayer. He will. He will. Look through praying eyes. Pray, pray, pray. There is no greater mission than to tell the world that there is hope in Jesus. To tell your coworker whose family is struggling, whose relationship is falling apart, who is lost and on their way to eternity without Christ, you bring 
a message of hope. You bring a message. We are afraid of rejection. When we are offering people the greatest news they could have ever heard, that God loves them. Don't put all this pressure. The, the devil's the one that's putting all this pressure on us. We are not, we are not out there telling, telling people, well, you are, you are really bad, and I think you need church. No, we're out there to say, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the hope about him. That's what the mission is, because God loved the world. And God is, the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish. God doesn't want one soul to be lost. It's a wonderful truth. God doesn't want one soul to be lost. In fact, if you're here today and you've never received Jesus, God doesn't want your soul to be lost. He loves you. The message of Jesus is that you and I are lost without him. We are lost emotionally, we are lost relationally, but most, most important, we are lost spiritually. We are dead in our sins, we are headed for punishment in hell, but God said, I will save you, I will rescue you. Jesus said, I will die for you, and he died on the cross. He died for you, he died for me. Maybe this is the first time that that's gripping your heart. Maybe it's the first time you're realizing that Jesus didn't just die for the world. See, this is salvation. Salvation isn't that, well, Jesus died for everybody. No, salvation is Jesus died for me. And I must receive him by faith. Have you ever received Christ by faith? Have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? If you have, then get on board with the mission. But if you have not, trust Jesus today, right now. Let's go to our invitation. Would you please bow your heads and close your eyes? This is a prayer time, so I, if we can be still, that would be really appreciated. Just a quiet part of the service. Time for reflection and a time for response. Have you ever received Jesus as your Savior? You say, Ethan, I'm not sure. I'd like you to just think about that. If you're not sure, why, why wait another minute? Make sure that Jesus is your Savior today. Whether you're here in the room or you're watching this message, the Bible says that whoever will call on the name of Jesus shall be saved. If you, in, your, in this moment right now, if you will admit to God that you're a sinner and that you're lost, if you will tell Jesus, yes, I believe in you. I ask you to save me. I believe you rose from the dead. If you will put your faith in him in that simple prayer, he'll save you. Would you do that right now? Say, yes, I'm ready. We'll just pray something like this. Quietly pray these words to the Lord. Say, dear God, I do admit that I'm a sinner. And I believe that you died for me. And I believe that you rose again for me. Please save me. I put my faith in you. If you've never done that, but you made sure this morning, or you, or you, you just wanted to be sure Jesus was your Savior, you'd say, Pastor, I did that this morning. I won't point you out or embarrass you, but I want to pray for you, encourage you. But I won't make any public statement, but if you did that, I'd like to pray for you. Would you just raise your hand and put it down? You say, Ethan, yes, today I did that. Yes, thank you. I see that hand. I made sure today. 
And my faith was in Jesus. Yes, I see that hand. Amen. Amen. Yes, thank you. That's why we do this. So that people will find hope in Jesus. Jesus is the answer. He's the hope. Now Christians, now it's our time to respond to the Lord. How many of you would say, I'm, just for testimony, again, I won't embarrass you either, but how many of you would say, God showed me what my comfort zone was today? Who would say that? Yep. Amen. I see hands all over it. You're like, I know what it is. How many of you would say, God showed me what I need to let go of today? Okay. Wow. Praise God. Praise the Lord. This is the coolest thing about what we do in church, is that we go to the Bible God speaks, and he changes our lives. Every Sunday. Every Sunday, lives are changed. So right now, Aaron's going to play a little bit on the guitar. We're just going to have a time of prayer. And so whether you want to pray at your seat or you want to come, some of you may want to come to the altar and pray. And say, God, I'm available. God, you, uh, you can use me. Maybe there's somebody in here that would say, Lord, if you want me to be a missionary, I'll be a missionary. Is a young person or, or, or a young adult that would say, God, if, if it's your will, you want me to go, I'll go. You're not, you're, you're not deciding to go. You're deciding to be available. How many of you would say, I was dealing with a hard thing this morning, and God showed me he wanted me to use it? Spend some time with the Lord right now. Let's go to prayer. Lord, thank you so much for how you speak to us. Lord, we all pray together right now. Lord, we lift our hearts to you. Lord, there is a tremendous calling you've given us, a tremendous mission, but it is an exciting mission, Lord. We can carry your gospel. We can give to send your gospel. Oh, stir our hearts. Use, Lord. I pray with my brothers and sisters that are making decisions right now. Lord, for all the decisions that are being made right now, oh, Lord, solidify them, strengthen them, Holy Spirit, fill us and empower us. We want you to use us, Lord. I thank you for those who found assurance of salvation today. I thank you, Lord, that they found confidence in you. In Jesus' wonderful name I pray, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.